Let's read verses 32 to 44. Matthew uh, uh, 27, that's on page uh, 834. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. When he tasted it, he would not drink. And when they had crucified him, they divided their garments, his, his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. After Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, you remember back in the beginning of the Gospel, many, many moons ago, when we looked at the early part of Matthew, when Jesus was in the wilderness and he was tempted. And we saw that Jesus' life was a reenactment of the nation of Israel who also spent time in the wilderness and disobeyed God and came under his judgment. Jesus is the true Israel. He is the true son. As Matthew says, out of, out of Egypt I have called my son when Jesus came back from Egypt. So Jesus reenacts, as it were, the life of ancient Israel to show that he, he triumphs where they failed. Where they were tested and failed the test in the wilderness by complaining against God when there was no food, no water, all of these things, Jesus was tempted to turn stone into bread by the devil. If you are the Son of God, Turn this stone into bread. Or throw yourself down from the temple. Or uh, other temptations that he threw before Jesus. And it tells us that Satan left Jesus for a season. But Satan was always, in some form or another, always around Jesus, wasn't he? We saw him working through the Apostle Peter. Where Peter says to Jesus, takes him aside, no less, and says, you will not go to the cross. You will not suffer. We'll not let that happen to you. 
Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, for you desire the things that be of man and not of God. Satan was always at work. He was at work through the religious leaders. But there was a particular moment when the devil really came on strong. And Jesus said that that was the last few days of his life. This is the hour of darkness. We hear of Satan entering into Judas Iscariot to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. We see Satan coming and seeking to sift Peter as wheat. Satan has this insatiable appetite to destroy Jesus and all those around him. Because he knows that Jesus is the Son of God on a particular mission. And we see that in the rage, the unbridled rage of men who were supposed to be leaders in the nation. Supposed to be examples to people. And yet here they are calling for the blood of Jesus. The blood of the one who spoke such wonderful things. Healed people and preached the kingdom of God. Who showed nothing but love and care to thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And now here are these religious leaders baying for his blood. The devil was at work. He was at work in the minds and hearts of people to destroy Jesus. And we see it not only in their actions, but in their words. We saw last week how the, 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 the physical torment and suffering of Jesus was at least matched, if not surpassed, by the mocking that he also had to endure. We saw how they put together a mock enthronement where they put a robe around Jesus, a staff, a reed in his hand, and a crown of thorns in his head to say, look, he claims to be a king. This is the kind of king he is. And they beat him on the face. They hit him with their fists. They scourged him. They mocked him with their mouths. They... they, they uh, 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 poured scorn upon him. And these things were equally as painful for Jesus. And the words that we are looking at this, this morning also draw that out. Here the devil is coming with incredibly powerful words. We saw how he came to Jesus in the wilderness with the word of God in his mouth. If you are the Son of God, cast yourself down from this uh, uh, temple, for it says he will bear you up in his wings. He, he uses the word of God. He comes at Jesus with God's own truth to try to tempt him away from God's purpose for his life. And the words that we see this morning that are thrown at Jesus are also filled with a demonic flavor, with a demonic poison to cause Jesus to want to throw away the purposes of the Father for him. 
we want to focus in particularly on these words in verse 42. He saved others. He cannot save Himself. He saved others. He cannot save Himself. It tells us that as they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And we looked at that last week of the... The, the incredible weakness of Jesus that they had to call in this man to help Jesus carry the cross the rest of the way. And when they came to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of a skull, which seems to suggest that the mountain, the, the hillside in which Jesus was crucified, had the face of a skull. If you go there today, you can see a, a, a hillside that does indeed take that shape. And they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. Wine mixed with gall was, uh, some say, perhaps a pain-killing narcotic that was offered to Jesus. Intended perhaps to ease his pain somewhat. But Jesus refuses it. Whatever it was, whatever the intention, maybe it was given for further mockery of Jesus, pretending to give Him a drink, but yet giving Him gall. Whatever the reason, Jesus refuses it. The psalmist says in Psalm 69, again, a thousand years before Jesus, they gave me gall for my meat, and in my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. It goes on. It says when they had crucified Him, they divided His garments among them, casting lots. And they sat down and kept watch over Him there. The outer garment being seamless. It was a, a very precious piece of clothing. And rather than divide it, they gamble for it. Again, Psalm 22 says, They part my garments among them and cast lots for my vesture. Friends, it's incredibly amazing when we think of it, the, the amazing detail that David goes into and how, how David experienced these things we don't know. <laughs> but really, David was looking beyond himself to something else. He was looking beyond himself to his own son who would be Crucified a thousand years later. Can you imagine you writing prophecy, writing something down that would be fulfilled in the year 3020 about someone of your, a descendant of yours who would come a thousand years later? Wouldn't that be incredible to think about? But not only are you writing about the future of someone in your family, you're writing about horrific things that would happen to them. And this is what David is doing about his greater son. The one who would come from his line. And that's what at Christmas time we often hear that. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
He is David's Savior, and He is David's God, and He is David's Son. All wrapped into one. And so they are parting the garments of Jesus. They are doing it so callously. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put a charge against him which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Let's take a moment to think about these people at the foot of the cross. The most important event in world history is taking place. The death of the Son of God the death of Emmanuel, God with us in the flesh. The one through whom all the world was created. That's what the Bible clearly tells us. By Him all things were made. And now, feet away from these men who are sitting there on the ground gambling for His clothing, the greatest event in world history is taking place. And they don't realize it. They don't know it. And so Matthew juxtaposes these, this, this, these two things. The, the glory of the Son of God hanging between heaven and earth, crying out to His Father, satisfying God's justice, paying for the sins of His people. And there, within a few feet below Him, are men gambling for His clothing. And we say, how callous! How amazingly ignorant these men are not to realize what is going on here. God coming into the world to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. God through the person of His Son, paying the price for our crimes, our sins, our iniquities. And these men don't realize. That's true, you see, of many people. Who were these men? They had an expensive garment there. Seamless. Hey, rather than divide it, let's gamble for it. Let's Let's cast lots for it. It was like a, a kind of a, a, a game of dice. You can see them there. Every roll of the dice. Oh, you're close. Another roll. Oh, how close you are. Oh, that was incredibly close. Another roll. What, what's happening? They're being drawn in more and more. Who's going to win? Like a game, a board game that they're playing. And as you get closer to the end, the intensity continues to rise. We play Jenga at home. You, the build, you know the building blocks, you pull one out, you put one on the top, and then it goes around. Then it can get really high, and then it just becomes all-consuming. Nobody breathe. Don't touch the table. This stack is going to go. So the next one, what's happening? You're completely drawn into the game. They were completely drawn into gambling for Jesus' clothing. They were consumed by it. 
And they are a picture of man in his natural state. They're a picture of all of us in some way. We're consumed by the job, by the family. We're consumed by more money and more whatever it is that's out of reach. We want it. And we can be in the presence of the most important thing in our lives, the gospel of Jesus Christ, God's offer of salvation to us through faith alone, in Christ alone. And yet we are like those men at the foot of the cross, so enthralled with getting this garment, this one thing, and above them, Perhaps his blood and his tears and his sweat dripping down on the ground before them. They are completely ignorant of it. That is a picture of people today. Maybe it's a picture of you. Coming and going out of church. And yet the moment we leave, we're right back into, okay, Sunday's over. That's what the, that's, you see, the, that's why I said the devil's always at work. Church is over. Now it's back into the rat race. Back into the job. Back into this, that, and the other. That occupied your week, your time, whatever it was. Jesus says himself, he says that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed seed on the ground. And when the seed goes down, the birds of the air come and take the seed. Why? Because the ground hasn't been worked. There's no soil for the seed to drop down into. And so he says, the devil comes away, comes along and snatches that which has been sown. That happens to people on a regular basis. Would it not be an awful shame for you at the end of time, at the end of your life, to find yourself in the same place as these men? To say, we were consumed with something as worthless ultimately as a piece of cloth. We were drawn into who was going to win it, who was going to capture it. A piece of cloth that would do us no good in eternity. It would not save our soul. It would do nothing for us. And yet there we were consumed by it. And feet away from us was the Son of God Bleeding and dying for the sins of sinners like me. And I, had no, I, I was ignorant of it. I came to church and I heard and I heard and I didn't listen. And I, I, the moment I was out the door, I was straight back into my life as it was. The Bible talks about in hell, the worm that does not die. The torment of that which was lost. Friends, these people are set before us as examples to us that you can be so close and yet so far. We have in our hands the Word of God which is able to make us wise unto salvation. Wise unto salvation. That's what Paul said to Timothy. From, from a child you have known the Scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation. We have in before us Jesus, 
as Pontius Pilate did, the Son of God, in our hands with that question, what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? This is what they were. This is where they were. This is, I, I want you to see them there. See their excitement over the cloth. See them excited about who's going to win the cloth. Gambling, throwing the dice, getting closer and closer. All the while forfeiting their souls. Feet away from the one who came to save the souls of sinners. Now put yourself there. Say, is that what I'm doing? Is that where I am today? What am I doing with Jesus? He is here. He is with us. He offers Himself to us. Each and every time the Gospel is preached. They're looking at Him and they're sizing Him up. The people begin to walk past. Verse 38, Then two robbers who were crucified with Him, one on the right hand and one on the left, and those who passed by derided Him, wagging their heads. Like that. Wagging their heads. You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. See, the devil's been sharpening these swords, these points of these arrows for a long time. Holding it up, blowing it off. Oh, these are these are good. These will really pack a punch. These will really cause ultimate shame. These will go straight and deep into the heart of Jesus. The mockery. This person who would do so something so monumental as destroy the temple, which took years to build and build it again in three days, you. You're God-forsaken. Your God has left you. He says He saved others. Himself He cannot save. They were taking that which Jesus used to show love and compassion to people, to feed them, to quench their thirst, to heal them, to give them sight to give them a new lease on life. They take that and twist it and throw it back in His face. He saved others. Yes, but by what power? He can't save Himself. So it can't be by the power of God that He did all these things. It must be by what we originally said, that He did it by the power of Satan and not by the power of God. It's obvious. If He can't save Himself... And yet he claimed to save all these other people by, by miracles. It's obvious that the true God has forsaken this man. And that he is an imposter. He is a fake king. Here, the devil is honing his argument. He is honing his points. He is honing his, his, his spears. 
his arrows to be thrust into the heart of Jesus. So also the chief priests and the scribes and the elders mocked him saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him. Now if he desires him, for he said, I am the Son of God. It's just wave upon wave. They know exactly what to say because they are speaking the words of the power of darkness. As Jesus said, this is His hour. This is His moment. They are, he, they are being used as a conduit for the power of darkness against the Son of God. And the devil throws everything he has at Jesus. He saved others. That's one thing we cannot deny. Prostitutes. Thieves. He has saved people who could not walk. He has saved weddings. He saved His own disciples on a stormy sea. He saved people from all walks of life in all manner of sin. That's just in His three-year ministry. Not to speak of how He saved as the Son of God before He came into this world. He saved Israel out of Egypt. He brought them through the Red Sea, through the land, through the wilderness, into the land of promise. He saved the Israelites from the Philistines and from the Assyrians. He saved. He saved others. In fact, when he is born into this world, the angel says to Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. But for now, he cannot save himself. This is... They take the very... They take the very crux of why He came into the world and they twist it and turn it and they throw it back in His face as a mockery rather than an element of praise. They assumed that God must reward the Messiah with health, wealth, power, glory, and dominion. This was their understanding. And they conclude that because Jesus is in such a hopeless condition and that He looked God forsaken, that God must have forsaken Him. And that the only conclusion must be that any works or miracles that He had done before were done by an unclean power. That the devil must have been behind Him. Giving Him His graces. And yet... We know something completely different, don't we? He, he could not save himself because he would not save himself. He was forsaken not because he wasn't the Son of God, but because he was the Son of God. He is showing us who God really is. He is showing us the heart of God. That God is holy. 
that God hates sin so much. He hates your sin so much and my sin so much that He has to do something about it. He wouldn't be God. He wouldn't be worthy of worship if you served a God that just turned a blind eye at every wrong. He can't do that and still be God. He must punish sin. So in the cross we see what God is like. But in the very same act, we not only see His holiness, we see His love. That God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life. No, Jesus says, I lay down my life of my own accord. No man takes it from me. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. This commandment I have received from my Father. He said earlier, do you not think that I can pray and that my Father would send twelve legions of angels? How then could the Scripture be fulfilled that it must happen this way? He saved others. He cannot save Himself. He who made gallons and gallons of wine out of water, He cannot satisfy His own thirst. on the cross. Not one drop of water is available to Him. Because He is under judgment. He is under God's judgment. Not for sins of His own, but for your sins and my sins. He cannot be afforded one drop of water. Not one creaturely comfort is afforded Jesus. He who gave strength to the legs of, of, of men and women cannot push up on those legs because it would cause excruciating nerve pain. Those hands that blessed tens of thousands and healed people by the thousands are now nailed to the cross and they cannot move. He saved others. He cannot save Himself. He will not save Himself. And all the the forces of hell come against Jesus on that cross. And Psalm 22, which describes for us how he is feeling. It's not it's as if he's feeling this way. This is how Jesus felt. Psalm 22, verse 6, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let Him deliver Him. Let Him rescue Him, for He delights in Him. That's how Jesus felt. He felt the pain of being rejected by the nation and the people that He had grown up among. And even though Jesus was the Son of God, He was a true human being with real feelings. He had a body that could feel real pain and a soul that could feel real rejection. And in spite of all of these things, Jesus would not yield. Just as the Gospel of Matthew started, Jesus would not yield for a second to serve Himself, to turn that bread, to turn that stone into bread, to, to relieve His 40 days of hunger. 
Neither will He give in now to relieve something infinitely greater than 40 days of hunger. 40 days of fasting was small, friends, compared to what Jesus is going through on the cross. Separation from His Father. Untold physical and mental anguish. And yet, He was held there. Not so much by the nails, but by His love. His love for sinners. His love for you and I. This is why we must, as we come to passages like this in Scripture, cry out to God, Oh Lord, please, open my eyes. Lord, open my heart. More love to Jesus. More love to Jesus. Lord, help me to embrace the sacrifice that He made on my behalf. Help me to see that He did this not to show some kind of example to the world. Not because He was in the wrong place at the wrong time, but because He had to do it. He, he would not come down from that cross because the, the fate of humanity hang, hung in the balance. The fate of the world hung in the balance. That's why we read in the book of Revelation, worthy are you to take the scroll. The scroll was all the events of world history that would unfold from there on out. Worthy are you to take the scroll, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. That means you bought them back with your blood. That's you and I, friends. That's us here this morning in this church. By nature, by nature we are all slaves. We are all in bondage. But the Son of God has come to set us free. By paying that price with His blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's why I say all humanity was at stake. As to whether Jesus would come down from that cross or not. As to whether Jesus would succumb to the temptation to save Himself and to listen to their taunts. But praise be to God this morning. He was faithful to the very end. He was faithful to the last breath. To the last drop of His blood. He was faithful. Why? Because of the joy that was set before Him. Because of the awesome glory that was set before Him. Because of the bride that was given to Him. That bride which is called the church of Jesus Christ. Which is which is made up of all who believe and trust in Jesus, of people all over the world, as it says here, from every tribe and language and, uh, and nation and people. They are part of that church. They are part of His bride. He was dying for her. He was bleeding and suffering for her. He would not come down because of her. This is His love. And as the great husband that he is, he comes to us and he says those words that we will hear next week. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this 
as you remember me. Do this in remembrance of me. Here is my body broken. Here is everything that I was shattered, consumed for your sin and for your welfare and for your eternal happiness. It's all for you. And He again is offering it. Don't be so foolish as to be taken up with the dice and the clothing and the car and the, and the job and the career and whatever else Satan has you wrapped around his finger about that you cannot let go of. Look up. Look up to the cross where the Son of God hangs for lost sinners. And call out to Him. Come to Calvary. Come to the cross. Say to Him, Lord, You came to save me. I want to honor You this morning by taking my whole life with all my sins, with all my failings, with all my weaknesses, and just lay it at Your feet. And thank You that You will receive me like You will receive every other sin. And that's why that other thief, we don't see him here. We see him in Luke. One of the thieves who also railed against Jesus. If you ever knew a man that was more deserving of hell than that thief, moments before he was doing the same as everyone else, Save yourself and us if you are the Messiah. Get yourself down here and take us with you. <laughs> that's, that's what they were saying. That's what this man was saying. And then before he died, his eyes were opened to see the truth of who Jesus was. That he wasn't, he wasn't a, someone in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was the King of Israel. That the sign was true. Jesus Christ, King of Israel. That sign is true. And He's my King. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus says, listen to me. Truly, you will be with me this day in paradise. Friends, that's good news. That's the best news you will ever hear in your life. Don't be head down the rest of your life gambling for some garment. Trying to define yourself by food or clothing or success in this world. It, it's it's as foolish as gambling for a, a piece of cloth and it will get you as far. Look up. Look up to Jesus. He is as close as His Word. He is with us today and calling out to Him as the old McDonaldite hymn says, acceptance now is salvation. Let's pray. Help us, Lord, as we close this morning that You would be with us in our parting song of praise. That, Lord, truly our hearts would be filled with thanksgiving for the One who loved us and gave Himself for us. Father, forgive us when we live for things that will not satisfy. Money and possessions and homes and all the things of this life will perish. They will not do us any good in saving our souls. But we pray, oh Father, that our eyes would be open to the One who came to die for needy sinners like ourselves. For it's in His name we pray. Amen.